I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. Without trying to jump into the middle of gender politics, that I think it's, I think men have an easier time saying I'm done. And I think women have a harder time saying I need help and I'm not responsible for everything all the time. I think women think about other people's needs first, second, third, fourth, and fifth before they think about their own needs. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm bringing back to the show Neil Brown, a licensed clinical social worker, the author of Ending the Parent-Teen Control Battle, Resolve the Power Struggle and Build Trust, Responsibility and Respect, and the host of the Healthy Family Connections podcast. When I last had Neil on the show, we talked about control battles with teenagers. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to go back and check it out. You can find it at tiltparenting.com slash session 32. In today's episode, we're tackling an equally important topic and one I think will resonate deeply with our audience here. That is parental burnout. In our conversation, Neil will explain what exactly parental burnout is and how it negatively impacts parents and families, help us understand how to identify it, and share his strategies for recovering from it. If you feel regularly frustrated and exhausted and are experiencing high levels of stress in relation to your parenting life, this is an episode you'll definitely want to listen to. And before we get started, I wanted to invite you to join over 600 other parents and take part in our free virtual Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge. Every day for seven days, you'll get a short video delivered to your inbox featuring a practical shift you can make in your world to help you have a more positive and optimistic experience in parenting your unique kid. 
You'll also be invited to join a private Facebook group with other parents who've participated in the challenge. We've heard from parents that the challenge has made an immediate difference in their day-to-day life, and that's great news because that's exactly why we created it. To sign up and get started right away, visit tiltparenting.com slash seven day. And now I'll get on with the show. Hey, Neil, welcome back to the show. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm happy to have you back. We got a lot of really positive feedback on the last episode we did with you, which was about teen control battles or more specifically how to end them. And there's actually quite a few parents in our community who are raising teens. And so I know that they're going to be very interested in what we talk about today. And actually, I know this isn't just about teens, what we're going to speak to. So yes, we are going to be talking about parental burnout. So I'm really interested in this burnout. And just a little side note, this idea of burnout is a big thing here in the Netherlands. It's something that people can get an official leave from their jobs because they're burned out. And it's it has a there's a very different culture around stress and burnout here than what I experienced living in the US. So I was very interested in learning more about parental burnout and what you mean by that, and then just have a deeper discussion. So let's start there. What, what is parental burnout? Okay. Well, I think uh, parental burnout isn't very different from work burnout, except it happens in the context of the job of parenting. And of course, parenting is a job. And like other jobs, you can burn out on it. And so how would a parent know that they're burned out? Well, they would feel burned out. They would feel fatigued, exhausted, ineffective, even losing motivation. They might feel joyless or perhaps even hopeless about their efforts and whether their efforts are ever going to produce anything. They might feel defeated, like there's no end in sight. And it can affect their self-esteem, their parental self-esteem, start to feel like as a parent, they're not as good as other parents and their kids aren't as good as other kids. And they can start to even get symptoms of uh, clinical depression or anxiety. And it can just really take the fun out of life. Mm. Is this something you've been seeing more of in your practice? I wouldn't say I've been seeing more of it. I think I've been seeing it more clearly because when parents come into counseling with a child or teenager, it's not because they haven't been trying and suddenly a symptom popped up. It's invariably because they've been trying a lot with no successful outcomes. Mm -hmm. So with all that effort in and so little result out, parents come in and at that point, they're already in a state of burnout. So when a therapist starts offering advice or things that they can do, it's sometimes the advice is going to someone who's already so burned out that they don't have the emotional resources to try something new and different. Hmm. Okay, so what do you do then? I mean, as you were dis- describing this fatigue and, you know, the whole sense of hopelessness and being overwhelmed, feeling like you're ineffective. I mean, and then you, you did say it may lead to clinical depression, but how do you differentiate if it is clinical depression or can depression be caused by parental burnout? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're in a burnout situation, part of that syndrome can be clinical depression. Okay. So you might get depressed. You know, if you were working in a job that's just miserable and you go to work every day 
and your experience of going to work every day is that you're ineffectual, unappreciated, and there's nothing positive happening for you in that environment, and then you come home. You could end up, you could end up depressed in that environment as well. Right. Yeah. Are there certain types of parents that you see? I mean, you said usually it's parents who have already been working really hard at things. And so they're getting the feedback that this isn't working. Is it, you know, obviously the tilt parenting community is parents who are raising differently wired kids. Do you see just in your practice or anecdotally or in research that kind of the parents raising atypical kids are more at risk of parental burnout? Absolutely. I would say that a larger majority of families that come into counseling with challenges with their kids have kids that are differently wired in one way or another, and it hasn't been either successfully or accurately assessed, or it hasn't been accurately or successfully resourced. And so parents might be carrying the flag all by themselves. And then, you know, there's, you know, there's all the other factors that go into that, which are, well, it's, we could talk about those factors. Uh, we could start with when parents are doing things that simply aren't successful. In other words, they get into, as we talked about in our first interview, they get into control battles. So mm -hmm. parents are pushing and kids are resisting. And then parents push and kids resist. And as that model goes on and on and on, parents are dumping resources, emotional resources, love, caring, effort into their kid, only to find that their kid is pushing back from them. So being in interpersonal or relationship loops or control battles is one of those factors that leads to and creates burnout. Mm -hmm. You know, the other factor, of course, is uh, a lack of uh, support. So parents need someone to appreciate what they're doing, to know what they're doing and appreciate what they're doing. The same thing as if you went to work and in any, in any job, if you went to work and no one ever gave you feedback, you didn't know if you were doing a good job or a bad job, and no one had any attaboys or girls for you, at the end of the day, you would be just kind of in a void. You wouldn't know whether you're, you should work harder or less hard differently. So getting that, that interpersonal relationship that helps you know if you're doing a good job or not and gives you support acknowledgement, validation, appreciation, and advice. Mm. So those are, that's a critical set of emotional needs that have to get met to avoid burnout. And then, of course, the other element is me time. Everybody needs just time away from work, whether that work is parenting or that work is the office. People need time to get their brains back for themselves and and just reclaim their, their own consciousness and their own minds and their own bodies. And so that's the other element. So control battles, emotional support, and me time are the three elements that have to be there or you will burn out. Mm -hmm. Well, as you were describing it too, it seems like potentially just part of it is a bit of an identity crisis. You know, this idea, if I'm not being ineffectual, nothing I'm doing is working that you just kind of slip into despair at that point. Exactly. And I think despair is really a good word to describe what parents in a state of burnout actually feel like. Because, you know, I mean, jobs are jobs, but parenting is something that we care about so much. And if you're feeling ineffectual in your role as parent, well, 
that's going to lead to a really devastating emotional state for you. Is there or have you found that sometimes parents are feeling guilt or shame that they are in this state? Like, you know, I should be able to do this better or, I, you know, they really kind of take it on as a failing in, on their part. Absolutely, Debbie. I think that's one thing that I hope in doing this podcast and getting the message out in other forums that parents will become aware that this is a real phenomena and it's not a reflection on their character. It's not a reflection on their effort. It's not a reflection on their knowledge. It's not a reflection on them, uh, on their character as people. It's a reflection on the circumstances and they're not getting their needs met. Well, and so then to talk about that, you know, in a job situation, if it reaches a critical negative point, you can say, that's it, I'm out of here. And we can't really do that as parents. What does this look like then for parents who are in this really bad state, and they're burned out, and they're in a situation that might feel like you're going into battle every day, you know, we talked about control battles, but I, I know from my personal experience, that I used to feel like I was living in a war zone. And I know that that's the case for a lot of our parents, especially parents with younger kids who are, you know, they're really intense because they they haven't really developed the the emotional maturity to manage some of their bigger reactions. And so parents take the brunt of that. Mm -hmm. What are parents in that kind of a situation? How can they heal themselves and kind of address the burnout? Yeah, well, you're raising a a very important point issue. And I'm not sure I've got an easy answer, but I've got a a couple of ideas. One is that parents usually are, are doing too much on their own. They're not asking enough of others. They're not asking enough of their kids. They're not asking enough of their, if there's a, a partner in the home and they're maybe not even asking enough of their friends and family. Friends and family love us and they care about us. And as we all know, we all feel honored if someone asks us for help or support. We enjoy having relationships with other, with other kids from other families. Uh, we enjoy being an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a, or a neighbor that the kids can feel comfortable with. And so giving is something that people like to do, and we need to give other people a chance to offer their their help and their support. And it's often good to break up that one-on-one set of relationships between parents and kids where we get into a, a routine, we get too comfortable with each other, and, and then it's hard to pull out of it. And parents take kids for granted, kids take parents for granted, and we get into a, a common interactional pattern. But if you throw some new adults into the situation, that kids will behave differently. They'll have a different experience of themselves. They'll usually uh, pop up, behave a little better, and things go well in that environment. So getting help is the number one thing. And then, I, as I said at the beginning of that, just a, a few minutes ago, that parents can ask more of kids. They can do less. So if they're making lunches and getting all the clothes laid out and doing everything, they can just say, you know what, here's, here's going to be the new routine. This is something you're going to need to do. And if kids are, it might take a few miscues and kids going with inadequate lunches or half-dressed a few times, but when they realize that the job falls on them, that they'll start doing more of it for themselves. So parents uh, offloading some of those responsibilities and getting help are two really important things. 
We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. Well, I really like that you brought up this idea of getting help. And I think I actually was just writing about about this very thing right before I called you the importance of getting help. And I do think that for parents raising atypical kids, this can be a tricky one because a lot of us, I know that I felt this way. I've heard this from other parents. We often feel as if we need to apologize for who our kids are, or we're afraid to put somebody out because, you know, maybe we're feeling, you know, this is really difficult. I can't do this to somebody else to ask for help. And I think that's just such a nice reminder that people do want to help. And we can sometimes get so 
isolated and, you know, stuck in our in our own kind of private world of, of pain. And we forget that it's okay to reach out and, and just ask someone, you know, to hang out with our kid for a few hours so we can go for a walk or something just to get that little break. Debbie, that's just so true. And I think neighbors and I think friends will relish the opportunity. Uh, we need to give as much as we need to receive. And for many of us, we'd rather give than receive. Or some, some of us, like some of these overwhelmed parents, are a little reluctant to accept help. And mm-hmm. so the other way to make a connection is to give help. So yeah. everybody, we all, we all have some of those neurotic issues going on. Yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> let's just all admit that we're all human and we all need to give, we all need to receive, and let's just have a little bit of a, a little more of a community and a little bit of a, a party together. Yes, I like that. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, also when you're talking about that parents can ask more of kids, I also think that we can ask less of ourselves at the same time, I, you know, when I get really stressed about things, I just kind of announce the house is going to be a little messy for a while. And we're just going to have to deal or, you know, I just kind of take some things off of my plate that I normally would do. And if I don't do them, I feel like I'm failing or I'm not, you know, doing my job or something. And sometimes I just have to say, you know what, I just can't do this right now. And actually, what I need to do is go listen to a podcast and go for a walk. And (laughs) We're just going to have to deal with the fallout from that. Well, there you go. I, you know, and I do want to add, um, without trying to jump into the middle of gender politics, that I think it's, I think men have an easier time saying I'm done. And I think women have a harder time saying I need help and I'm not responsible for everything all the time. I think women think about other people's needs, first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, before they think about their own needs. And I think men have... Once they're done with whatever their primary thing is, it's easier for them to think about their golf game, for instance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I'm I'm not one to gender stereotype, but certainly, you know, and we actually, I did an episode with my husband on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked about this idea of that often it is the, the mom, and if it's two women in the family, one of the moms who is playing that kind of primary caregiver role in terms of being the one holding all the pieces, doing all the therapy back and forths, or doing all the negotiation or emails with the principals and the teachers and things. Yeah, there are all those tasks. And even if you divide up the tasks so that a male partner is doing a lot, Then there are all those unassignable tasks, like the ones you just started mentioning, things that come up, and then ends up being that moms are primarily the go-to person. I do know personally uh, friends and neighbors who are not operating in that model, but I'd say still that's the exception and and not the rule. Right. Yeah. Well, is that in terms of who experiences burnout? Do Do you see that it's more of something that moms are dealing with than dads? Uh, yes, I actually do. Um, I, I think dads tend to take a little bit more of the cue from moms. But now I think I am at risk of running into gender stereotyping because I think if a dad is there on the front lines, that they tend to run into the same sort of thing too. But dads tend to take it less personally. Mm. So moms will say, what am I doing wrong? And dads will say, what are the kids doing wrong? Yeah, (laughs) that's so interesting. (laughs) Yes, makes sense, though. So all right. So for listeners who are 
hearing this conversation and they're thinking, hmm, this sounds a lot like what I might be going through. Like, how could they determine if this is something that they are indeed experiencing and that it's something they need to get some, they need to address? Okay. Well, first of all, if parents are saying, gee, that might be me, then I would assume that it is. Yeah. And we could put it on a continuum. We could say, well, how severe is it? And maybe you don't have the most severe case, but that doesn't mean it has to be severe before you recognize it and take action. So if you're thinking that your parenting is getting increasingly joyless and you're feeling increasingly ineffectual and you're starting to get a sense of hopelessness and defeated feeling and you're not getting the support and recognition that you need, then I would say, yes, you're at risk. And it's time to take some action and make some shifts on your own behalf. Mm -hmm. And that would mean looking at where the resources are. Am I working too hard on my kid's behalf? Am I not giving them enough responsibilities? And the key, of course, to giving your kids more responsibilities is having accountability in place so that you can say you need to do this, but then what happens when the kid doesn't do it? Well, we have to have the courage to say, hmm, well, I guess you're not going to be having your privileges for a while until you can learn this set of skills. Mm -hmm. And I think if we get into that idea that privileges are just that, they're not entitlements, that kids get them by managing their responsibilities and having a good attitude. And of course, having a good attitude means being respectful and cooperative. So if, if we're holding our kids to that standard that they're managing their responsibilities and they're doing it with a good attitude then we will get more out of them. They'll get more out of themselves. They'll feel better. They'll learn independent skills. They'll be more functional. So you're really doing your kid a great service by doing less and inviting them to do more. So that's step number one. And then the other ones are make sure you've got resources. Someone has to know what you're doing. Your kid is not going to say to you, wow, mom, that was a fabulous limit you just set with me. I can't believe it. You didn't <laughs> hurt my feelings. And I feel motivated to do the thing that you just are making me do. That's amazing. <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? So we need that from an outside source. So if you have a partner, if you're married or coupled, then that's a great source. If it's not happening there, then that's worth a conversation or two or three. And otherwise, you need to have other sources for that. Hmm. Yeah. Friends, neighbors, a parenting group, an online group something, you need to be connected to other parents that know what it's like, can relate to what you're feeling, can acknowledge what you're doing well, and can offer constructive advice, mm -hmm. new ideas. Well, let me ask you one more question on, on this topic of parental burnout. And, you know, if there are listeners who have kids who are younger and who are, who are hearing your suggestions regarding giving more responsibility to their kids and placing these limits on them. If for some parents who've got these kind of five and six and seven year olds who are really dysregulated a lot of the time, and so they're really kind of the parents are in the trenches and really in damage control mode a lot of the time because their kids are so emotionally dysregulated. Okay. That might be a trickier balance for them. So, mm -hmm. What comes to mind for me is to like really reach out for some formal help, like if whether that means hiring babysitters or, you know, just kind of then I think, is it a matter of getting into serious self-care mode just to kind of ride out the storm and get through this rough patch? We'll be right back after this quick break. 
This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Yeah, I think both of those things are true. One is make sure that you understand that that is what's going on with your kids so you just don't feel like you're doing something wrong, that this is a challenge that your kid's going to have to grow through and learn about. So the idea is that emotionally dysregulated kids have to learn emotional regulation. It is going to happen over time. We're not going to get it in one set of parental interventions. It's a, it's a process. But that's what we want to work towards. That's number one, is a good assessment and knowing that our, our goal is for them to become more regulated. Mm-hmm. And the other is, as you just said, Debbie, that parents are going to need to be resourced. They're going to need to have some childcare, but really quality childcare so that the, the childcare specialist isn't just putting them on the computer and letting them play video games the whole time. We want that person to actually follow the plan and have standards and expectations and languaging with our kids so that that's learning away from the parent 
too. So all the teaching and learning doesn't happen from the parent. It happens from other sources as well. And then there's just the fact of time off. I mean, you're going to need to tag team parent under those circumstances because many of us are just are not going to have the emotional resources for that. We all, you know, as adults, just like our kids, we all come with our own wiring and our own temperaments. And some parents are going to be able to hang in there much longer than other people who are going to have their own sensitivities and needs. And we just have to honor our own needs as the same way that we're inviting our kids to learn about who they are and manage their own needs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I thought of one other question on this topic before we change. Sure. And that is, is there kind of a predictable or typical, quote unquote, recovery period? You know, when you are working with people, you see this in clients, once they kind of start to address it and get the support that they need, and, you know, deal with the different ways to combat this parental burnout. What does that look like? How long does it take them to kind of feel like themselves again? Yeah, that that is a good question. I I don't know if I have an easy answer, because I think it relates to how deeply into it any parent is and how challenging and hard it is to bring back the kid from whatever behavioral problems they're demonstrating. But the biggest thing that I think really helps parents a lot is just to know that, A, there's a name for this, that what's going on with them is a phenomena that's a legitimate and real phenomena. And to know that there is a path forward, that there are some things that can be done that are going to take them out of this state and help them feel successful and help their kid get their needs met as well. So once parents realize that there's a horizon, that there's a, you know, that there's a, a way out of this, they automatically start feeling better immediately. And then as soon as they start taking some action on their own behalf, uh, things immediately do start to get better. And that makes absolute sense. Yeah, just yeah. that awareness that because there's a name for it means that I'm not alone. This is normal what I'm experiencing. Yeah. And I can see how that would already shift things for people. Yeah. And I think if you've got differently wired kids, it's that much more challenging because very often therapists don't have the experience with it to be able to understand the diagnosis or understand what it's really like in the home. So even going to therapists is, it may not get that frame that says, okay, we've, we have an understanding and a path forward here. Uh, we might have a therapist who's going to do a lot of, uh-huh, hmm, that is interesting, ha, huh, and do a lot of active listening, but maybe not really see the big picture and assert and, and, and propose a path forward. And I think it's really important that if parents go for help, that they get the right kind of help with someone who's experienced. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When my husband and I went to to get some help a few years ago, and we found someone who has specific experience supporting parents who are raising special needs kids. And that was huge. You know, that was a huge part of why that worked for us so well. Yeah. Okay. So we only have a few minutes left, but I want to check in with you while I have you on the phone because you're... You're an unofficial teen expert. I'm just declaring you the teen expert now for tilt parenting. <laughs> okay, I'm going to write that and put it on my put it on a badge. No, but I I did as I said I've gotten some feedback from the first episode we did on control battles and one of the questions that I got I just wanted to throw out to you is a parent wanted to know how they can support their teens in developing a growth mindset. And Asher and I did an episode on growth mindset. It's a something we talk about a lot, 
both in our family and within the Tilt Parenting community. So with teenagers, and I don't have a teen yet, but maybe there's some more resistance around this idea of getting out of a fixed mindset and having a growth mindset. So do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think we should probably say firstly that this is a concept that comes out of the work of psychologist and researcher Carol Dweck from Stanford University, and she's written the book Mindset. Uh, which is a, her explanation of a lot of the research she's done. And she has come to the realization through her research that people that believe that they, if they work harder, that they can solve a problem and get smarter. In other words, they can learn things and things that they're not good at, they can become good at, things that they now don't understand if they work to understand it and practice it, they will understand it and get good at it. And that's called a growth mindset. And then there are those people with fixed mindsets. And those individuals, whether they're kids or adults, uh, if something is hard, in fact, they look at it hard compared to what their comfort level is with knowledge and ability. And something looks too difficult for them rather than say, oh, well, I'll just have to learn that. And that'll take a little effort and that'll be fun. And then I'll learn it. They go, oh, that's too hard for me. And not only does their attitude say that, but their neurology says that. So their brains actually close down and stop, uh, and, and, and a lot of electricity, a lot of electrical activity uh, slows down in the brain of a fixed mindset person versus a growth mindset person whose brain lights up with excitement that they're going to do something challenging and rewarding. Mm-hmm. So that's what a growth versus a fixed mindset is. And so the question is, what can parents do or where can, how can parents help their teenagers develop growth mindsets? Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, first of all, Carol Dweck, I heard her speak last winter, I think it was in November, and she says she's actually uh, building some resources and some classes for teenagers to be able to grow and develop a growth mindset. So I, I can't give you exactly the links right now, but I know that Carol Dweck at, Uni- at, at Stanford University is a, could be a, a fabulous resource for that. But here's another thought, and that is that as parents, we end up really struggling when our kids are having difficulty with a problem. We can get stuck about how to help them. And I think what's important is if we understand as parents that there is this thing called a growth mindset, and it's not about getting the right answer, and it's not about getting a good grade. It's about engagement. It's about making learning fun and exciting. And if we can help our kids develop that attitude by having that attitude ourselves, so when kids come with a a difficult assignment or a different project, rather than focusing on the grade parents can be curious with their kids about, wow, that's really interesting. Let's, how would it be if we tried this? What are some ideas you have? That's a great idea. Why don't you try that? Even if the idea is absolutely wrong, let's just encourage that effort so that kids get into their creative thinking and their effort is seen as something that parents are rewarding and are acknowledging and validating And eventually, when kids learn to bring their best selves and their creativity and their effort to problems, they're going to get through a lot of problems that way. So rather than either doing it for them or fighting with them about it 
or f- over-focusing on the grade, if parents can focus on the effort and make it fun and a positive experience without worrying about the outcome, that's going to make a big difference. You know, a feature of growth mindset people is that they're comfortable with failure. Right. So it's, it's like, oh, I, that's weird. I didn't know that. Boy, I went down this path and no wonder I didn't get the answer. I went down the wrong path. Wow, I can try this path. And so it, it's just all part of the journey for a growth mindset person. Mm-hmm. So it's not about success or failure. They will have their successes, but they, in order to get to those successes, you have to be comfortable with failure. Right. And that's a big part of having a growth mindset. So I think if parents know it and can teach it and support it with their kids by being excited about learning and effort, then I think that's going to light up your kid's brain too. That's great. That was a good answer. And thank you for the the primer on growth and fixed mindset. Yes. And I will leave links for Carol Dweck's work on the show notes because we're huge fans of her work here. And she did a great TED Talk. And I'll make sure that you all have access to that as well. And before we go, Neil, since we last talked, you have launched a podcast. Would you take a few minutes to tell us about your podcast? Oh, sure. Thank you. My podcast is Healthy Family Connections on iTunes. And I am responding to questions that people send in, and they're often about kids or teenagers. Sometimes they're about relationships. I've answered questions about kids with depression, kids with anxiety, acting out kids, chores, how to set up for summertime, parental burnout. So whatever, whatever you all want to know about, you can, can ask me a question through my website, and I will be answering it on my iTunes podcast. It's been really fun. That's yeah. awesome. I, I've listened to some episodes. They're great. And listeners, Neil knows his stuff. So that's a great resource. So if you have burning questions, send them to him <laughs> and we will all benefit. <laughs> yeah, I try to use my, my what I say is they're out of, bo- out of the box solutions. So I, I try to bring a different perspective than maybe the standard psychologists do's and don'ts for parents. I try to bring in usually a contextual frame of reference because as a family theorist and a family therapist, I really look at things from an interactional contextual point of view. So I really have a lot of respect for and I really honor the family and the power of family dynamics and the importance of developing healthy family dynamics because that's where kids grow, that's where kids learn, and that's where kids emancipate from. So if we can understand the problems and solutions in terms of family patterns, then I think that's a great resource and it's a great way of thinking about things to help kids and and families do better. Great. Well, thank you. I just want to thank you for coming on the show. It was really interesting for me personally to just learn more about parental burnout. And I know it affects probably a lot of our community. So Hopefully, this will be a good resource for them. I will leave, as I said, links to Neil's podcast and website and the other resources on the show notes. And Neil, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to do this. Thanks for having me, Debbie. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Till Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Neil's website, his free parent burnout recovery guide, and the rest of the resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 70. And before I say goodbye, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Anika Parson, one of our newest supporters who's helping cover the production costs for the podcast through our Patreon campaign. 
Thanks to the help of listeners like you, we're now able to outsource our final post-production costs, which is amazing and so appreciated. If you like what we're doing here and you'd like to help us reach our goal of outsourcing all of the production costs, please support us on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash tilt parenting. And lastly, if you like what you heard on today's show and you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or leaving a review. Both of those things help our podcast get more visibility. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.